founders. Welcome back to the Zero to 5,000 podcast, where we obsess over the convergence of human potential and business results. Today, our hosts, Drew McClure and Jordan Mitchell, have another insightful conversation for you. So let's jump right in. Okay, founders, welcome back to the podcast. Today, I'm sitting down with Elizabeth Gore, the co-founder and president of Hello Alice. A multi-channel platform powered by machine learning technology, Hello Alice guides business owners by providing access to funding, networks, and services. It is the largest community of business owners in the country while tracking data and trends to increase owner success rate. Elizabeth herself previously served as entrepreneur in residence at Dell Technologies. She is the Emeritus Chair of the UN Global Entrepreneurs Council and previously served the UN for nearly a decade at the UN Foundation as Vice President of Global Partnerships, where she founded strategic grassroots efforts like Nothing But Nets, Girl Up, and Shot at Life. Elizabeth is a former U.S. Peace Corps volunteer for which she served in Bolivia. Elizabeth has also been a leader in organizations like the Points of Light Foundation, Share Our Strength, and the Texas A&M Foundation. People Magazine named her one of its top 100 extraordinary women. Fast Company called her one of the most creative people in business, and she was named one of Entrepreneur Magazine's Women to Watch. Outside of the boardroom, Elizabeth is also a world champion equestrian, a sprint triathlete, and has climbed Mount Kilimanjaro to aware to raise awareness on behalf of the UN. Elizabeth serves on the board of the Global Entrepreneurship Network, which operates a platform of projects and programs in 180 plus countries, aimed at making it easier for anyone, anywhere to start and scale a business. Here to share her amazing story and lessons learned is Elizabeth. Elizabeth, thank you for being here. Thanks for having me. I always think in those bios, they should have these little like Here's where I failed right before that. Here's where I failed right before that. <laughs> well, here's here's my question, man. Like reading this bio, I'm thinking, how many lives have you lived, right? Like, is this your third life? What is going on? Well, I'm 45 um, and I love being 45. And the 40s are a fun time because you're kind of comfortable in your own skin. You know your directions. You've made enough mistakes to, oh, to learn. And so, um, I don't know. I think every every decade can be a totally new chapter in your life, which is kind of refreshing. So that's, I like getting older because it's always a new chapter. It's better than the alternative, right? (laughs) Heck yeah, absolutely. My friends and I like talking about this, just the different stages of life and what they either can mean or do mean, right? Like Mm -hmm. sometimes it's less about what does it mean and more about what you infer meaning onto. And so as you look back, let's just start here. Like, as you look back, what were the thirties like? What were the twenties like for you as those two different decades? Um, well, the early twenties was, I ended up, I'm from Texas. I grew up on a ranch and, um, I was the first female in my family to go to college. And the expectation was to come back and manage the ranch. So I have a very important animal science degree in cattle. Wow. And, um, then I just joke because now running a tech company, um, obviously that, that didn't, uh, that I didn't go in that direction, but I, I, you know, took a risk, pivoted and moved to DC. Um, and, uh, in my, when I think I was 21 or 22 and that was a huge change, uh, for a Texas cowgirl. Right. <laughs> so Absolutely. I think as my twenties is, is a time of exploration and change. And, you know, I always giggle about what were we worried about in our twenties, right. Now that we have mortgages and kids and responsibilities and, um, I think it's a time for people to explore. And I also took a, 
a second big jump and joined the Peace Corps. And so I think of it as I was pretty much out of the country um, for a decade, whether it was the mm. Peace Corps or um, my service at the UN. And so I think of my 20s and then very early 30s as a, as a time of, of travel, exploration, learning and figuring things out. Yeah. I mean, that's a hard right turn from, I'm just going to go get a degree that's going to help me run the family ranch, right? right. Like, mm -hmm. was there a moment that was kind of like eye opening and I've got to go explore and that kind of thing? Or was it just something that built over time and said, Hey, I think I want to do something different. No, there's definitely some pivot moments. Um, I got real involved. I was not a good academic, but I was a, a very involved student. So student government and um, all the activities that campus has to offer. And so I got really involved in a lot of issues on our campus, um, you know, women's rights issues, um, student governance issues. And it really just showed me there's a lot out there. And I had the huge opportunity to go intern in DC and a couple other places. And it just opened my you know, I, I think of like the ranches, you have this fence in front of you. Are, are you ever going to get over that fence or not? Right. And then you get yeah. over the fence and you're like, oh, there's a town and then there's a state and then there's the United States and then there's the world. Right. So um, I, I actually took that turn my senior year in college. And then I worked the front desk, believe it or not, because I worked all through college of um, the George H.W. Bush School and mm. got to meet uh, former president. George and Barbara Bush, and they gave me the opportunity to stay and get a master's degree and then move to D.C. with the thousand points of light. And so that was just, you know, a huge opportunity, you know, wow. for a young person to, to jump and take that that leap. So, yeah, you know, it's just a matter of taking the leap. And then it's a matter of going to tell your mama who's expecting you to come back to the ranch that I'm not coming back. I'm not going to manage it. I'm taking it. And that's still the hardest conversation I ever had in my life. Sure. Absolutely. Now I want to, I'll come back to that in just a second, but if we look at that time of exploration, you're literally going out into the world and you're getting to see it from some unique vantage points, DC, the home of politics, UN, Peace Corps. What do you look back on and say most got impressed on you in that time? Or like what were the biggest lessons maybe that learned during that season? Um, well, why not? It's lessons learned, but also realizing how much you don't know. I think we all think we're pretty fucking smart in our 20s. And in yeah. fact, I mean, we we know very little. And so I think it was a time of discovery of how much we I don't know, how wrong I am about a lot, misconceptions, um, whether it's what you learned, what you saw, or, or the very narrow view you lived. Um, the thing I did learn that has stuck with me through business now is how people one person is just as smart as the next and have the resourcefulness to get things done or start their business or raise their kids or uh, run their government but they might have gotten just screwed by the geography they're in and so you know anytime we think we have a solution for others sometimes or most of the time they probably have it but they just don't have maybe the environment around them or the structure or the networks. And that was a big deal for me in the Peace Corps. It was a big deal for me when we were in countries working in the UN that you think you are educating or giving a handout or so on when people really have solutions. They just need 
to be given the foundation to make them. And now mm -hmm. I carry that very much at Hello Us with our small business owners is that just because a small business owner is in the middle of uh, Oklahoma and is in Silicon Valley and they don't have all these resources around them, they can be successful and have the acumen. It's just a matter of getting them that connectivity. So that, that's a big thing that I remember very much stuck with me, particularly in the Peace Corps. I was in a village with 35 families who had just never had exposure to much, but they, they, the more I was there, I was there two years, just the more I learned how capable and amazing these folks were. Mm. So, yeah, I feel like in a just purely metaphorical sense, the time I started to think about that idea has been actually being a small business owner, raising a family, just like you're talking about, mm -hmm. you value, well, Hey, I bet I could figure this out and do it myself versus paying somebody 300 bucks to come and do it. Right. So there's like mm -hmm. so many projects around the house that I've had to just YouTube right. how to do it. And what I found was in so many projects, the right tool, like if I didn't mm -hmm. have a tool and all of a sudden a neighbor gave me one or I went and bought one made everything I was trying to do so much easier. Right. And it's the same idea of what you're talking about is like often the difference between the success of that country or that person is like, they just don't have that tool. They have right. all the capability, right. know how, but like the access to the infrastructure or the technology or whatever mm -hmm. that would assist making that job of succeeding so much easier. Does that make yeah, sense? Yeah, I think of it. Uh, absolutely. I, I like your analogy on tools because I think of gear a lot. I love to fish. I love to hike. I love exploring. And, and the difference in having a good piece of gear versus yeah. not will change your entire experience, right? Yes. And so, yeah, I like that. And that's a really cool I, I thought, of whether it's tools or gear and, and who has access. Yeah, it can change everything. It's wild. Yeah. And I'd never been a handy person. So that's why the, the, the thing hit me so hard was like, I'm in there trying to do it myself, feeling stupid and like, am I ever going to do it? And then <laughs> somebody's like, here, use this. This thing is built to get in there and do that thing. And you right. do it and you're like, well, that was easy. Right. You know, <laughs> like, yeah, but how would you know? Right. It's exactly. Exactly. So anyways, I love that. That's so beautiful. Um, now what I'm curious about is how did you, or when did you transition from kind of the nonprofit mm -hmm. world that you were in to eyes on business technology, mm -hmm. the for-profit world? So, um, my latter years with the working for the United Nations foundation, um, what the thing I kept observing is when the UN would leave, which the UN should leave, that should be the goal, right? You know, whether it's health or it's good governance or whatever that is, the countries that seem to prosper or communities or environment were those who had really strong micro business, small business, the ability to do business, whether it was women even having the right to open a business all the way over to there being a you know financial infrastructure to do any type of business. So I got super passionate about this whole, you know, what we would say small business here, but in other countries, probably microeconomics um, and how critical it was. And it, we started trying to kind of shift some of the mindset at the UN about how to use innovation and technology to ensure people that can start a business in these countries. Mm. And I also got really inspired in some countries where they were leapfrogging technology, right? Um, like you'll never see a telephone post in a lot of countries because they went from 
you know, no telephones all straight to cellular, right? There was not that middle ground. And mm. electronic payments, you know, straight to phones, right? Whereas we're still kind of catching up, which is interesting. So I got really passionate about this notion of how important business and small businesses with the underlying edge of you have to have technology to enable it. And so um, I had the great honor of working for uh, with, excuse me, two amazing entrepreneurs, Ted Turner and Michael Dell, while I was at the UN. Uh, Ted was wow. our, our board chair, and then Michael was a Goodwill ambassador for entrepreneurship. And, um, you know, we tested and did a lot of really cool things. We started a fund with a school foundation for entrepreneurship. We started the Global Entrepreneur Council. Um, but I really took the leap when I had, I had the opportunity to actually move over to Dell Technologies from the UN and work with and for Michael Dell and his team. And it was during the EMC VMware acquisition, which is the largest acquisition, tech acquisition in history. And Michael's passion and still is, was how do we use technology as, as a democratizer for to start and build a business? So it just kind of took what I was kind of feeling and formalized it into the space. And I'm a big believer in the importance of the UN and the nonprofit sector, but I also think there's a huge role, a critical role that the private sector plays um, in the strengthening of government, our economies, small business. And so it's been really fun to sit on both sides of the coin. Absolutely. I have a little, not nearly as in depth as yours, but my first, my twenties was basically a nonprofit and then thirties started my own business. And so I've gotten to see a little bit of both sides. Right. And my favorite thing about you like more, do you have a side you like more? Yeah. More about the season. Mm-hmm. Like it felt totally appropriate when I was in nonprofit and I wouldn't mm-hmm. do it any other way. And then it felt like it was time to leave. And so it's more about like, it felt right then. And so that was right. And now this feels right. If that makes sense. Right. Absolutely. Um, but I got to see the benefits uh, uh, so far. I've seen the benefits and the limitations of both. Right. You know? Right. Often in nonprofit, you're able to you're able to be more specific and clear on the impact you want to make, mm-hmm. and you can just go straight for the impact. But you are really hamstringed often by resources because yes, a lot yeah. of nonprofit is dependent on resources versus creating mm-hmm. resources, mm-hmm. and so that was just tough. Like whether it was the funds you needed to get the job done or the funds to pay great people to keep working there. Right. right. Um, makes it tough as my family was growing and it's like, listen, this is really tough for me not to get paid, you know, more than a teacher. Well, I will tell you something funny too, um, because uh, I remember thinking, gosh, I don't want to raise money anymore with nonprofit. I just, yeah. I'm, I'm over raising money. All I do and the for-profit side is raise money. <laughs> so the, the whole venture side, we've been through four rounds of capital. And I was like, I love that I had the ignorance to think that I was not going to be asking for money anymore because that, that was so yeah. wrong. <laughs> yeah. Well, it's so funny too, because in my head, like I was like, I'm done working with people. Like it's exhausting, relationships, all that kind of stuff. Yet my business is I'm, I coach leaders. You right. know, like I'm right. in there in fast growing companies, coaching people helping them wake up to things. And I'm like, I'm still doing it, but but again, yeah. Well, that's why I started thinking when I was like, I'm going to start a business. My thought was what skill have I been honing that I could transfer into the market? 
and exchange value for. Mm -hmm. And it was, I know how to lead people. I know how to communicate. I know how to generate self-awareness and things like that. And so um, what I love about business though, is the generative aspect of it mm -hmm. that mm -hmm. if done well, it generates as much as it takes. That's right. Fair. So like totally fair. if done well, and I think that's what you're saying about other countries, the small businesses are so critical mm -hmm. more than just, Hey, provide jobs is a business done. Well, creates a new value in the market. Sure. The fact that they just opened that shop and provided that service is now introducing generative value and they're getting paid off of the value they created, the service or the product or whatever they created. Right. Uh, that's the upside that I see. Now there's plenty of downsides, obviously, to business and business done poorly and things like that. So mm -hmm. anyways, you're not supposed to be interviewing me. I'm supposed yeah, to be interviewing I know. you. It's fascinating. What's going on here? Okay. So uh, you've had so much experience, though, working with, alongside, and also being a founder yourself. Mm -hmm. So I'm curious to hear from you. What are some of the... I don't know. What are some of the lessons, some of the mistakes? Like what's the real talk about being a founder now? Um, well, just like you and I were conversating about seasons, um, you know, I, I look at being an early founder and I have a co-founder. So I, I've always had, there's always been two of us. She's amazing. And I can't fathom doing it alone. Same. So, but the early years of just the two of us being scrappy and getting everything done and being exhausted in that way. And now, you know, our company is um, over a hundred folks and we have, we have let's almost 1.2 million small business owners on the platform. And it's a wow. totally different stress and level of work and so on. Right. So, yeah. and I, I actually, I, I think it's a myth to think that you can be a great leader through that entire chain. Right. So Carolyn and I have been at this about, formally eight years, really informally 10 years. And I can think of times when I really excelled in times when it was just not my time to shine or strength. And so I, but when you're in it, you're, I don't, I didn't realize it when I was in it. Now looking back, I can be like, wow, that was a, like my skill set was good that time. Boy, it was terrible that time. Right. And I yeah. think that, um, that is a good learning especially for founders, when is it time to actually hire a leadership team, give up the reins on things, or when is it time to even exit your company, right? Those are all things that I don't think when you're in it, you really think about. So there have been phases and chapters that um, have gone well or haven't. And then I think the, um, I think what I certainly didn't realize is the isolation. It's, it's very difficult being a founder, um, particularly, ironically, as you get bigger, when mm. you have to, I think, kind of protect your employees, your investors, your customers from the stress, the risk, the mistakes. Not all of them. I mean, we have a very transparent company, but there are things that shouldn't, you know, I shouldn't be stressing my team out on. It's my job to do that. Yeah. And so um, it, there can be, I think, a lot of isolation in that and a lot of, um, I've heard, you know, a lot of folks talk about their mental health as they grow or dip in scale, particularly through COVID, obviously. So I don't know, when you're thinking of growing a business, I don't think folks think about, well, what, what would be my mental health be like? And when, yeah. when do I, when am I going to be a strong leader versus something not being my strength? And I think if we could better prepare ourselves in the early months to know it's coming, and who to reach out to and, and who can help you through that. Um, I think we'd all be better. Absolutely. The mental health thing is 
is huge. And I think you, you mentioned one of them, which is the isolation, Mm -hmm. you know, the, we, we bought kind of as a joke, but we bought the domain name lonelyleaders.com because <laughs> I was like, man, I may want to do something with that one day. Like, I could I either so many- be a dating app or it could be a really awesome uh, peer-to-peer mentorship app. Exactly. Or both. So we had, we had man, maybe you're, maybe you're the person who helped me do something with this. We had two different ideas. One was a joke and it was, we thought about dating. We're like, nah, there's already dating sites for all that stuff. First was <laughs> you get an animal, but only for the weekend. <gasps> and so the idea would be like for the weekend, like you get your Uh-oh. puppy, same puppy every time, Uh-oh. but then someone, somebody takes it from Monday to Wednesday because you're so busy yeah. that you oh don't have God. to worry about taking care of it. That's so we're like, that would be hilarious. And then the second was kind of a connect. Like the idea was take an Inc 5,000, like small up and coming business owner and connect it to yesterday's fortune 500 leader. Ooh, I like that. And that's that- like just connecting like, that would be connecting a season, like connecting a seasoned leader to a new yeah. leader. Yeah. And cause that's, what's been huge for me is a lot of times it was just, I had one, one or two people like I would call and be like, have you ever been through a season like mm-hmm. this? Hey, I, I have to fire my first person. Am I right for this? Like yeah. that kind of thing was just a game changer. I was like, man, I would like to connect right. those kind of audiences. Just, just you know? knowing you're not crazy. Right. Yeah. The other thing is I, knowing that there are actually very common cycles in business that we all go through, but no one really talks about. So, I, you know, I, if anyone listening has ever been sued yet, it will happen in your business, like as yeah. it grows. And I remember um, the founder of Bumble, um, Whitney Wolfhard and Sarah Jones Simmer, her COO, we, we all kind of, they're way ahead of us in our business, but we grew up together in business and they were dealing with a lawsuit. And I was like, oh my God, are you so stressed? They're like, oh, this happens, you know, every six months or so. And I was like, holy wow. crap. And then you just said laying people off or firing, right? There's no way you're not going to have to do that in your business. Um, Cash flow issues, everybody at some point, even if it's growth or, you know, a dip. Um, Having, you know, upset employees, having an upset board member. And then you yourself, you know, if your business is perfect, something is going to happen around you. Maybe you have an aging parent or you have kids or... Uh, your co-founder is going through something that life just throws you some shit, right? And so you have yeah. to know that you're going to have dual stress in your life. And just for folks who know that and know it's okay, you can make it through and this happens, I think it's helpful to hear. Yeah. Oh, absolutely. Because my first thought, and I know many people's first thought is this is happening because I'm not cut out for this. Right. Or, or I screwed up. What, or, or I screwed up or whatever. Instead I wasn't of- prepared. Yeah. Yeah. Like yeah. this is the roller coaster. So like mm-hmm. just relax, you know, or mm-hmm. whatever the lesson is, like this is par par for the course, right? Mm-hmm. Um, and that's what I want to ask. You know, a lot of the mental weight that I see people carrying from the isolation is the pressure, is the stress, is the unknown, the the desire we have to know it's gonna work out or to mm-hmm. know that it's gonna look like this. And you never get to a place where you exactly know what's gonna happen next year and right all that kind of stuff. And so what have you learned about kind of taking care of that side, the pressure side, the mental side mm-hmm. in the ups and downs of business? I think, um, Drew, right now, that is a very pertinent question. Uh, if I can set that up before I answer. Sure. During COVID, a lot entrepreneurs, they tend to thrive during a crisis and stress. And they tend to thrive with big opportunity and like blitz growth. 
I think where everyone really struggles is the unknown. Mm. And when things are in the middle or in limbo and, you know, during COVID-19, it was like, how do we survive? I mean, it was hard as hell. Let me discount that. Our minds were busy. We were focused. It was like, do everything you can. Right now, I think we are going to have a really tough time as entrepreneurs because 2023 is so freaking weird. Yeah. Um, If you look at half the economists, they say we're going to be fine and half think we're going to die. I mean, it is literally. And so I think what is really hard for entrepreneurs, um, particularly myself, I do really well in crisis um, and I love big opportunities, but this whole notion of what is 23 going to be like and how do we prepare for the unknown, I think is quite difficult. And we also, you know, our whole company is based on OKRs and quarterlies and this and that. And how do you prepare prepare to pivot and budget to pivot and budget to change um, is not the way of the entrepreneur, right? That's a very yeah, corporate yeah. mentality, actually, but it's not the way of the entrepreneur. So I, you know, right now, I'll, I'll just give you an example. Um, we're, we're going through potentially another financing round. We really are trying to figure out what our small business owners are going to need next year when it's totally unknown. And so one of the things I'm focusing on for myself and hopefully my leadership team is everyone getting themselves in fighting shape for next year. So, you know, eat right, make sure you're spending time with your family. Um, We're trying to practice what we're calling radical candor right now on, okay, I don't know what's going to happen. Let's just be transparent. Um, let's try and stay healthy physically and mentally. So there, there, you cannot control everything, but there are things that can help your mind be sharp to be in those times of ambivalence or not ambivalence, excuse me, of limbo. So, you know, absolutely. I think holding on, like, you know, my, my husband the other day was like, you need to like shake some steam off. You look like you're about to explode like a tea kettle. And it was like, if you can let go of that a little bit and know it's going to be kind of screwy for a while. Um, but the only way to do that, frankly, is to, you know, get a, get some rest, be healthy, have some fun, enjoy. Like you said, you had a great day with your, your buddy today. That stuff is so important. Um, when I'm rested, I can do anything. When I'm tired, I am a mess. And so it's just, you know, it's just, and I know all that sounds like duh, but we're terrible at, at Entrepreneurs are terrible about this. Terrible. Yeah. Common sense isn't common. And right, that, right. I, I just I had the the blessing, the fortunate opportunity to speak to all of Chick-fil-A's operators as their keynote speaker for this last oh, month. Cool. And the main topic was how do you sustain success? Meaning mm-hmm. like how do you not personally burn out? I'm not talking about your business. Right. Or right. like you personally, because as I interviewed, they were not alone. There's like all the founders I work with. Like I, I can keep it up maybe another year, you know, mm-hmm. but like imagining 10 years from now, 20 years from now, like mm-hmm. that seems like I would crash. Right. Mm-hmm. And so when my wife, she went to the final one, there were six different ones. And she was like, that was amazing. It was also very simple. I was like, mm-hmm. I know because the answers are actually pretty simple. Like mm-hmm. one of the things we talked about was move your body to ground your mind. It's, mm-hmm. it's, it's pretty I locked like up in science that like, right. if I'm struggling in here, Right. It won't solve everything, but it will ground you when you move your body, getting into your body, out of the future, out of whatever, get a heart pump going, a walk right. even, 
And it's like, man, we, so we just talked about the four pillars, like physical, emotional, mental, and soul. Like right, when you can understand right. what you need in those four categories. Mm-hmm. You can prepare. And the way that we talked about, it, which is what you're saying is it's not when things are going well that you need it the most. You still need it, but mm-hmm. it's actually when things are the most stressful because mm-hmm. it acts as a counterbalance. It's right. like if an athlete's in the middle of a season, they take their rest and their nutrition more seriously than they do in the off season. Right. Cause they're like, I'm, you know, I'm giving everything oh, as hard as I can. So I got to sleep. Well, I got to eat well. Right. But I've noticed, at least for me and many people I've worked with, like when the pressure's on, when the work is grueling, that's mm-hmm. often when you do the most unhealthy things, when you sleep the least, oh, when sure. you yeah. eat the yeah. worst, you know what I mean? Yeah. Well, and Drew, I think the thing that we need to do is give other entrepreneurs permission to take a step into rest. And I think the way to do that is to get into the psyche of all of us and talk about that you're going to be better at your job. Yep. You're going to make more money. You're going to be more productive. You're going to be a better manager if you do. So if we yes. all need to look at this from a capitalistic standpoint, that's fine. And just think about if you take that day or that rest or you go to bed on time, you your output will be 10 times better the next day. So if you're worried 100%. about getting work done or modeling good behavior, you know that that is data-driven, it's scientific, it is, it is what it is. Absolutely. And I think... Um, I'd be curious to hear what you've heard, but there is a, a whole shift we're all having to make with a fully remote culture of because there's no national shutoff. And so um, I think that also you have to figure that out for your own employees, for yourself. Like, what is the natural shutoff to a day, to a week? Right. Um, yes. I love the quote that entrepreneurs don't know what a weekend is. <laughs> I think that's <laughs> a funny thing. But we do yeah. have to figure that out. And for me, um, my children have really given me that. I they, I can't multitask around them or they'll, they'll, they'll take over and mute me, right? Yes. And so they are my natural shutoff valve. Um, but everyone has to find what that forcing mechanism is. Correct. Yeah, you mentioned a few things that, again, this being a conversation I'm very familiar with, I'd be happy to share. Like one is you mentioned the guilt or the... There's a resistance that someone has in hearing, take care of yourself and then applying it. Mm -hmm. And it's usually around the feeling that I'm taking resources when I should be giving resources, Mm -hmm. that it's selfish Mm -hmm. to invest in my health when I could be investing in my family or whatever. The simplest way I've done it is not through theory is I actually did this from stage with them was I said, take me to a day that you were your best self as a leader. Like Mm -hmm. remember in the recent past, a day that you crushed it, you were productive, you were a great leader of your team. Take me to that day. And I'm like, got in your head, six adjectives to describe how, what state you were in on that day. And then we go to a typical tough day, day that you did not feel like you're a great leader. You didn't get a lot of stuff done. Give me six adjectives. And every time the best version of themselves had a high quantity and high quality of energy. Mm. They felt confident, energized, inspired, excited, whatever. Tough days, they felt tired, lazy, fearful, anxious, whatever. So I said, all right, is it fair to say that person is better for everybody? The first person, Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. did your spouse like you more? Did your team like you more? Did you make better decisions? And so they're connecting the dots. And I'm like, that person was rested. That person was watered, was cared for, right? Right. The other person was in survival mode. Mm -hmm. The other person. And so they start making the dots that like taking care of me so that those attributes come out Mm -hmm. is going to make me a better husband, wife, 
father, mm-hmm. leader, all that kind of stuff. And so that's, I think the light bulb that we have to have is mm-hmm. like you said, I am a better person to be around. I make better decisions if I have done, and it's not a lot. That's the thing is like mm-hmm. when we wait too long, I always talk about like rehab is more expensive than prehab, right? <laughs> so like rehab is way more expensive when you've waited oh, till you're yeah. fully you're fully burnt out and everything in your life is on fire or Mm -hmm. your body is like literally autoimmune disease shutting down. Right. Right. It takes a lot of money and time and energy to get yourself well again. Right. But if you're on, if you're on the prehab side of it, it's small stuff. It's Mm -hmm. like a 30 minute walk a day and six to seven hours of sleep. It's not like you need six months off. Right. It's just the little things over time that prevent injury. Does that make sense? It is. And you know, for those founders out there that, Uh, very specifically have dual jobs. So you have a family and a company. If family can be defined as you define it, maybe it's aging parents, kids, your partner. Um, Sometimes you have to acknowledge that your circles are going to get real small for a while. And that's, we talked through Drew seasons and we talked through chapters earlier, but if you're a person who gave back to your community and you have a big social circle and you love networking and Maybe you have an amazing hobby. Sometimes that is going to have to go to the wayside for a while um, in order for, that you don't get stretched so thin. And so, you know, my husband and I, I think a year ago, were like, okay, we actually really got to make our circle smaller if we're going to have a relationship with each other. Hmm. We're going to have be good parents. And we're both going to have these, you know, high powered careers and God forbid we take care of ourselves. Right. That's four huge pieces of the pie. And then what we didn't plan for is ill aging parents. So here's a fifth that's got to squeeze into an already tight pie. We can't fit anything else in there right now. Mm. And I think it's okay to say no some for a while in your community or to say no to that volunteer thing, or to be like, man, I live to fish three days a week. That's not going to happen for a year. Right. Yeah. Um, and so was that hard it, to accept? Hell yeah. It's hard to accept. It's brutal. And I think we don't, I mean, I certainly, we didn't intentionally do that. We fell into it because we were about to collapse. Right. <laughs> yeah. And, yeah. and, you know, even he, you know, my husband, and I's relationship can, you know, we'll take a back seat here and there, you know, for the kids or for the jobs. Uh, but I think the big thing about it is communicating it and being realistic with yourself and not, again, this goes back to true to that guilt thing. It's like, I can't be volunteering in the food pantry and teaching Sunday school and all this right now. I just can't. And so, and if, if anyone has a problem with that, they're not your real friend. They're not, you know, if you're very honest, it's like, I just, I got my kids, I got my job, I got my husband right now. I'll see you in six months. Right. Yeah. So I think it's, it's acknowledging too that you're going to have tough seasons that you're going to have to shrink that circle in order to make the pie actually bigger. Ironically, that is so huge. I mean, it also makes me think of like as founders, when you're in a tough season, you have to shrink the priorities. Yeah. Right? Like, oh, big time. Yes, it totally can equate to business. Totally. Yep. You know, so we talk I to just me about that shrink. because yeah, I was going to say often it's like we take complication and we make it more complicated mm-hmm. by adding initiatives and adding things when typically we probably need a small, like, uh, narrow the focus, just like you're doing with your family and saying, Hey, I got limited resources. I really need to make it count for this small circle. 
how do we do that in business? Do you see the same oh, thing? Oh, that's so funny, Drew, that you said that because I spent the entire morning with our leadership team on 23 planning with this. And we two, two years ago, we made a big shift as a business. We used to help small business owners do everything they need, build their first website, hire their first employee, because these are all legitimate needs. And it was just too much, right? And so we, we narrowed two years ago to a small business's financial health. So mm. it's all things... What's the capital you need? Technical assistance, education around its credit grants, all of it. And now this morning we were like, that's even a huge topic. Huge. Are we talking about taxes? Are we talking about cash flow? Are we talking about access to capital? I mean, so even today we're like, how do we even pull into, you know, what what specific piece of their financial health? And the thing that's hard about that is entrepreneurs are very opportunistic. And they're also very purpose driven, right? So mm. I see I mean, I, we could do this and we could do that. And I know we could do this. So I know we could do that. Also, it's really important and this, they really need it, right? And I think, you know, for to say no and to pull down and focus is a real testament to leadership because it's very hard. Yeah. And, but I will tell you who values it the most is your employees because it gives them context. It gives them a clear North Star and then your investors will love it because you're going to really shave resources towards one objective. Mm. And so I have, I've probably been the worst at this over the years and I'm really starting the last couple of years to see how important it is. Yeah. I was, there's a, there's a guy that I follow on TikTok. I don't know much about him other than seemingly his good business record. His name's Alex Hormozzi. And he was talking about one of the biggest ahas he had was when he was running five businesses and, having a hard time seeing any of them be profitable. And his new wife was like, well, what if you just made one of them really profitable? There you and go. he was like, I've yeah. never thought of that. And she was like, <laughs> how easy would it be if you got rid of the other four and you took all your time and made this one business great? And that was the beginning of true success for him was totally. he put all of his focus into this one business and it finally got the attention it needed and the resources and it took off. And I'm like, God, man, like our instincts for some reason is usually to broaden instead of narrow. Mm -hmm. And it's mm -hmm. usually to overcommit instead of like really commit well to a few things. I know I am shiny object syndrome or this deserves my attention mm -hmm. or you feel like you're making it safer. You're like, well, if we diversify our bets, right. you know, one of them will work out and a few of them won't and that'll be safer. And it's like, am I actually making it riskier mm -hmm. by doing that instead of right. like focusing all your effort on one thing? And a good exercise, Drew, is can you really, not, not your elevator speech, but could you really talk about the outcome of what your business does in one sentence? Not the yeah. vision, not the, not the sales pitch, but what does it actually do? Yeah. Is that a real and, question? And well, it, it's, oh. it's not, <laughs> I, not you asking. Drew. I know what I you like, do, but if someone, if you, if you, if that is a long explanation or even a two sentence explanation, yeah. Um, you know, think about it. Just, just let sit there and think about it for a minute. Yeah. Uh, if you're listening, do that right now. Mm -hmm. Um, because it'll expose again, not as like an insecurity. Oh my gosh. You know, no. I don't have the answer, but as a point of emphasis that we need to get this because three years ago, I hired a sales coach to help me. My, my co-founder and I are great coaches. Mm -hmm. No one ever taught us though, to be salespeople, right, you know? Right. And so you're like, well, crap to get clients, you know, like I've got to be able to have these conversations with these companies and know mm -hmm. how to have it. Right. So he was saying the same thing. Hey, what do you do? 
what's what's mm -hmm. the value you're going to give them and i had a brilliant five minute speech on what we did and he got done and he goes drew do you speak french i was like no and he goes well you don't speak the language of results either oh. i was like i go what does that mean he goes he goes you didn't tell me what the result oh, is that you're that giving funny. them and i was red faced you know like yeah, oh my yeah, gosh yeah. and I, he was like oh, you're thinking like a coach you're thinking like a technical you know person mm -hmm. who knows the ins and outs of what you're doing you're not thinking like a business which is what's the value what right. is it ultimately we'd be paying you for right mm -hmm. and that took me about a year literally right. of like wild, how hard that is it took a year yeah to, to literally play with things be like is it this is it this and is this you know uh, but like you said, it has so helped even help me know what to say yes to and what to say no to. Right. Just, right. just that clarity goes, nope, that's not us. Yep. That's us. You know? Right. Um, so man, I'm so curious for you as you are, let's just keep it relevant. Let's keep it to 2023. Like we're, we're stepping into this really murky coming year mm -hmm. and we don't know what the hell's going on. And you're helping business owners. Like, if we have small business owners here on the podcast listening, what would you be doing between now and January? And I know January is somewhat irrelevant. Like it just represents the beginning of the year, but it's just in my mind, two months from now, like mm -hmm. what, what kind of headspace or what kind of exercise should they be, you know, like you said, getting really mm -hmm. dialed in on their health and also on folks, super focused on things like mm -hmm. what, what kind of things would really help them? You think? Um, it just popped into my mind, marketing, money, and me, me as in the founder. Um, well, I'll start with money. I think it's really important to give yourself as much cushion as possible next year and diversify your cash flow. So where you can tighten down, where you can ensure, maybe for the first time you get a line of credit, you've never done that before, but if you qualify, there's no downside, for example um apply for grants really give yourself some cushion mm. um for the unknown the marketing piece customer behavior is continuing to shift i don't care what industry you're in so being flexible and really listening and watching your customers so that your marketing can shift and pivot and usually that would be a six-month strategy right now i think it needs to be a monthly and really thinking about, and the best way to do that is to talk to your customers. Again, back to simplicity is, you know, if you're brick and mortar, how are people shopping? Are they walking in? Are they looking online before they come in? Is it, you know, I, I love the fact that TikTok now is in the top five ways small businesses sell their goods. I mean, who would have thought of that a year ago, right? So right. what do you, from a marketing standpoint, being prepared for that flexibility, right? And then on the, the founder themselves is, again, get yourself in fighting shape to constantly pivot mentally, physically, and with your budget and your team next year. Um, and that does mean taking a little breath, maybe bef between Christmas and New Year's, getting yourself set. And also um, not having a fail forward mentality so much, but having a mentality that nothing, there's no sacred cows. Like if you had a plan for Q1 and it shifts, that is okay. Right. Mm, mm. So those are the three areas I think folks should really be thinking about for 23. I, that is, by the way, the way that your mind just went and got those three M's is brilliant. <laughs> I love that money marketing and me. I'm going to remember that on the, the idea of the mindset. And if you think of anything else that's been a particularly helpful 
mindset mm-hmm. for you in terms of resilience or innovation or whatever. I'd love to hear it. But that one in particular, the no sacred cows is tough. Mm-hmm. I don't know if it's personality driven or what, but like I get my heartstrings attached mm-hmm. to ideas mm-hmm. and if it doesn't work, it's easy for me to go, Oh, how I failed. What's wrong with me. And mm-hmm. it can be counterproductive to just pivoting and going Oh, we tried it. Didn't work. Or Q1 didn't go the way we thought like, let's now, what do we do? Right. Yeah. Drew, um, on that note, I, I don't know if you're ever around scientists. Um, I, I formerly was not, but now I'm in YPO and in my group, um, I have two scientists and I admire them so much because the whole notion of experimentation and hypotheses in science is that you see what breaks and what doesn't and then pull the best idea out of that. And this woman who creates protein out of air had a whole thing not work one week. And then we saw her a month later and she created this whole new business line out of it of basically what broke. And so having that, I just admire scientists because I don't think we kind of on the business entrepreneurship side really think that way. So maybe going in with a science mentality might be maybe a way to think of it, that everything is a experiment and a hypothesis for right now. Yeah, that's so well said. The, the, the data approach, the hypothesis theory approach, I know is the healthy thing. I'm learning to wrap my mind around it mm-hmm. because I'm more of a creative, like, I'm more of it's the hard. heart relational create, I create ideas, yeah. you know? And so, but I can see it intellectually. It makes so much mm-hmm. sense. Like, Hey, it is just a theory. Go out, mm-hmm. put it in the market, test it, get data, react to it and, and keep it unemotional. And so I'm right. working on it. That's my, right. my thing. I'm working on it, but I'm not there yet. Well, I think having your heart and your purpose in it, but not your emotions in it, right? I do think that's two different things. And I think it's okay to have your whole heart and mind and you care deeply. But when it kind of crosses over to the emotionality of it, that's when I think we can get in a little bit of trouble. And I do it all the time, by the way. So I'm not saying (laughs) I'm good at it, but I recognize it's a problem. Yeah. Have there been, we'll end with this. Have there been any other mindsets you've found just to be particularly useful? Um, well, I, a way of seeing the world, a way of seeing business. Two, two things that just come up over and over the last year or two have been, there are times when I've been so wrong and the outcomes have been awesome hmm. and personally and professionally. And so sometimes being wrong could be the God's greatest gift. Um, and then a second one is I've always been the like, you have to make it happen, full results oriented. We're going to get the sale, the deal, the partnership, the investor. And when those haven't happened, also there's this huge sense of like, my, my God, thank God. Right. Yeah. Yeah. Um, and so, yeah, I think those are similar, but it's certainly something that I'm like thinking and pondering on and, you know, um, kind of having gratitude towards. Yeah. You'll probably remember this as a, as a country girl, you know, I grew up in the South as well, but it makes me think, yeah. is it Garth Brooks maybe, but is the, the song, uh, uh, thank God for unanswered prayers. You oh that? yeah. That's Garth Brooks. Yeah. It's yeah. a great song. And it's, it's exactly correct. It yeah. is exactly correct. There's yes. these things that you're like, I know this is best and this is the right move. And then when it doesn't happen, yeah. you're like that wasn't the right move. Thank God that didn't happen or we didn't get that deal. Exactly. You know? Oh my gosh. Yes, absolutely. And I think 
um, maybe that gives us all a little bit of grace that if you think you're failing or you think you weren't prepared or everything, you know, just turn the corner, just go around the next corner and just see what that result is. So, so there might be a massive opportunity on the other side of it. Awesome. Now for, for the people listening that could use your services, where do we, where do we send them and for what, as you're narrowing your focus, yeah. who, who do we need to send your way to, to check out what you have at Hello Alice? So any business owner, whether you've started or you've been in business 20 years, helloalice.com, uh, we are here to help you with your financial health and also uh, with you. We love our small business owners. We call them owners. Our community are fiercely loyal to each other. So we have the largest black owned business center, the military spouse center. You can actually join things that I think are really about you personally. Yeah. Um, but we also know that if you have financial health, you're going to feel a hell of a lot better. So, uh, we'll help you with grants, credit loans. Uh, but we really focus on equity. So equitable access is, is the heart of what we do. Ensuring women, people of color, us veterans, everyone gets the same shot. Wow. So amazing. We'd love to have you. Hey, well, I'm a business owner and I'm going to be checking out your services. So, Thanks, Drew. uh, if you're listening, please go check it out. Not, like she said, nothing more uh, important, especially the longevity of your business, than feeling like you have your financial health. So, Alice, or not Alice, hello, Alice. <laughs> Let's be okay. Well, hold on. Before we go, where did Alice come from? Where did the name Hello Alice come from? Oh my gosh. If you read the original Lewis and Carol, Alice in Wonderland, uh -huh. we really ache in that whole story to the, the journey of an entrepreneur. Huh. So she's chasing the white rabbit, which we say is always cash flow. She's always out of time. She's having to open and close doors. So we just really love the story. I freaking love that. I'm a huge fan yeah. of, of Joseph Campbell's hero's journey and the idea yes. of these archetypal yeah. stories and the meaning that we can get from them. So that's so cool. Awesome. Elizabeth, yes. thank always you. Say welcome to Wonderland when you start a business. Well, awesome. Well, thank you so much for your time. This has been Thanks, truly a pleasure. pleasure. Awesome.